Welcome to the Cornerstone Truth New Creation Podcast. Each week we'll explore fundamental truths about the genuine love of Christ being manifest through His people, the Church. During these studies, we will discover that the sincere love of Christ flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is the goal of our instruction, and we are so thankful you're listening today. All right. And so if you want to grab your lesson plans, uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, Usually we do Lord's Supper, and I talked with Jeff and said that we would do that, but I want to wait because I think what I'm going to share is going to fit with his Lord's Supper meditation and uh, your mindset on things above, specifically on Jesus and the great sacrifices that he made. And so this morning, if you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 16 and verse 11, Oh, this is one of the anchor verses for our year, uh, for our theme. And Psalms chapter 16 and verse 11. And also we're going to be in Psalms in chapter 25. So Psalm 16 and verse 11. And some of you have this one memorized. It's a wonderful passage. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Now this verse doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of meaning to people who are in the church unless you understand that we in the church are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. The Bible actually says that. We're going to take a look at a verse once again as a reminder. This means that this verse is our verse. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have been united with him. He has entered our bodies and we have entered into the throne room of heaven spiritually and we're seated there in the heavenly places. This passage has all things to do with us. And so once again, you will make known to me the path of life. This is Jesus speaking to his father. This is we, the sons and daughters of God, appealing to him to show us the paths of life as we're about to see in Psalms 25. So turn to Psalms 25 uh, this morning, and I want to read the first uh, five verses, and you're going to see how these relate uh, very closely. Psalms 25, verses 1 through 5. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Now verse four and five are gonna be really the anchor for our lesson this morning. And there are actually four important parts in that In those two verses, let's look at that once again. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. I started my email this morning with there's an elephant in the room. Did did you get that email? If you didn't get the email, that's okay. There is an elephant in the room. In fact, no matter where you go, anywhere in our society, there's an elephant. I want to give the solution to how to get rid of the elephant. The elephant is ugly. And so we want to get rid of that elephant. And so today's lesson is going to help you understand how to get rid of that elephant. I've kept something in my heart and I've kept preaching and teaching over the many years And you know, three times, the devil tried to shut this church body down in a pretty scary and sad way in bringing about division, mistrust. But we're still together. And I'm so deeply thankful for the family because we're working together to build the kingdom. You know, I'm so thankful for John and Pat. What a special couple. And they they used to go here many years ago and now they're back. And what a blessing they are. And so you see the kingdom is continuing to be built. And so I praise God for that. But if I would have shared with you what I have known 
for a long time, you would have thought I was a nut job. But in light of the elephant in our society, I don't think you'll, you'll think I'm a nut job today. What wouldn't you believe? That what we see around us has been planned since the fall in the garden. I saw a Facebook post this morning. I hate Facebook. I love Facebook. You know, it's a double-edged sword. There was a news story that said, COVID-19 is a worldwide pandemic. No, that's old news. The rioting is worldwide. That's the new headline. Now, who do you suppose is behind a worldwide destruction of civil order? Who? I think you all know, don't you? So we need to recognize, if you've been listening on Wednesday nights, you'll know immediately what I'm talking about. There are five types of government, and civil government is only one of the five. And if you haven't been listening, I'm preaching on Wednesday night to help people know how to solve the problem. And the church is a key component of solving the problem. But if the church doesn't understand its vital part, then it will continue to spiral out of control. And so my prayer is, is that you'll recognize that what I'm about to read Although it was published in 1972, the concepts have been going on since the garden when Adam and Eve were drawn away from the truth of God. And you can get this book, although I wouldn't ask you to, to allow your young people to read it, but let me read this little excerpt. I want to do it rather quickly. And this is the bad news of my good news lesson. All right? The elephant is ugly. Saul Alinsky. Remember the apostle Saul or the, uh, the Saul of Tarsus tried to destroy the church way back when? Saul Alinsky. Look that name up. Wrote and published Rules for Radicals in 1972. From the 30s to the 70s, he organized poor working class people in Chicago and other cities and addressed countercultural and civil rights activists nationwide. The opening paragraph of this book makes it perfectly clear who his readers are. Quote, Who follows is for those who want to change the world from what it is to what they believe it should be. The Prince was written, the book The Prince was written by Machiavelli for the haves on how to hold power through money. Rules for the Radicals is written for the have-nots on how to take it away. Alinsky's references to Machiavelli sets readers up for a high degree of ruthlessness and real politicking, and the book does not disappoint. Rules for Radicals recommends mostly working within the system, though in the twisted way Machiavelli Machiavelli spoke of. Below you'll find Alinsky's 13 rules for radicals. I just want to read a couple. You might notice that these have been in the headlines recently. Power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. Power is derived from two main sources, money and people. Have-nots must build power from flesh and blood. In other words, masses of people following one concerted effort. Now, it might be wrong, but one concerted effort. Power should never go outside the expertise of your people. Now, he's teaching uh, people how to protest in local communities. Never go outside the experts of your people. It results in confusion, fear, and retreat. Feeling secure adds to the backbone of anyone. Whenever possible, number three, whenever possible, go outside the experts, expertise of the enemy. Look for ways to increase insecurity, anxiety, and uncertainty. Who's the enemy of the ugly elephant? Anybody who wants peace and tranquility and order. They want to produce what? Anxiety, insecurity, and uncertainty. Is that happening? 
You don't have to nod your head. I know it's happening. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. If the rule is that every letter gets a reply, send 30,000 letters. You can kill them with this because no one can possibly obey all of their own rules. Hmm, that's an interesting one. Overwhelm the system. Radical is man's most potent weapon. There's no defense. It's irrational. It's infuriating. It also works as a key pressure point to force the enemy into concessions. This is right out of the book. A good tactic is one your people enjoy. They'll keep doing it without urging and come back to do more. They're doing their thing and will even suggest better ways to do it. Wow. A tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag. Don't become old news. So what's next on the headline? I'm not sure. Keep the pressure on. Never let up. Keep trying new things to keep the opposition off balance. If you do it in downtown, do it in the suburbs. As the opposition masters one approach, hit them from the flank with something new. Does this sound familiar to you? These are quotes right out of the book. Rules for radicals. The major premise for tactics... Oh, I'm sorry. The threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. Imagination and ego can dream up many more consequences than any activist ever could. The major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition. It is this unceasing pressure that results, are you ready for this? That results in the reactions from the opposition that are essential for success of the campaign. In other words, we need to pray hard for our officers. If you're not praying daily as I am, you need to pray hard for our officers. Because going without sleep, the pressure that's on them, they're waiting with their cameras to catch somebody doing something to throw gasoline on the fire. This is right out of the playbook. And you can look it up on the internet. This is where I got this. If you push a negative hard enough, it will push through and become a positive. Violence from the other side can win the public to your side because the public sympathizes with the underdog. The price of a successful attack is a constructive alternative. Let's defund the police. That'll solve the problem. The price of a successful attack is a conservative, a constructive alternative. Never let the enemy score points because you're caught without a solution to the problem. There's more, but I won't go there. That was written in 1972. By the way, the designer stepped into the garden over 6,000 years ago. And his plan, because Adam and Eve didn't know what was going on, they got wiped out. Well, guess what? Our God has given us the true solution. I've been preaching it on Wednesday night. I encourage you, if you haven't been watching, go back and watch the ones I've done and implement the things that I've been teaching. Here's another thing. Is listen to what I'm going to share today. It's essential for us to come together and be united in the things that I share. You're saying, wow, what a, what a bummer. Don't think that way about what I just read. It's nice to know what the game plan of the enemy is because then you can flank them. So here we go. Truth number one in your introduction. Proverbs 16.25. You might want to write that one down and check me out later. Truth number one. Proverbs 16.25. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. Proverbs 16. 25. Did I say 21? Proverbs 16.25. There's a way which seems right to a man, but it leads to death. Man's ways are not God's ways. And so the philosophies that are being spewed here are philosophies that Satan put together and has been hitting mankind over and over and over again. We just see in our age this symptoms of Satan's work for a tyrannical form of 
government. Truth number two, John 4, 16. There's only one way to life abundant. Only one way to life abundant. Remember what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. We need to focus on Jesus. We need to look to Jesus because he was born into a violent, corrupt, horrible society. And yet he turned that society around. One man. One man. And he was the light of the world. And guess what? He pointed at you and me and he said, you are the light of the world. And we're more than one man. We're more. So we need to go and look to Jesus for his marching orders, for his path, not the path of the world. True statement number three, Ephesians chapter two and verse six. True statement number three, Ephesians chapter two and verse six. We are present tense, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We've been raised up and we're walking in the power of God within. If you don't believe that, you haven't been listening to my sermons the last several years, and most particularly, most recently. The power comes from his presence. And the power that was in Jesus is in us. You know, when this thing started to shake out, I had two choices. Shut down, it's all done. Or go, you know what? It's another challenge. I didn't realize what was coming. But it's made me, it's even made me more steely, more committed. Brethren, we need to recognize and understand we're seated with him far above all rule and authority. Our fight's not against flesh and blood, amen? You know what the scripture says? Our fight's against the evil fortresses and the evil wicked forces. So this is what we need to do. Attack spiritually. How do you do that? Know the word of God. God's warning. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. You can write that one down. God's warning. Colossians 2 and verse 8. I want to turn there right now. And then we're going to come back to, to Psalms 25. So keep your finger there. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. It's one of those pillar passages. Keystone passages or cornerstone passages in the scriptures. Colossians 2 and verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Let me make that a little bit more contemporary. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the false narrative and news. No one knows the truth anymore. How could we? Again, we have, a, we have an article or a news story for any belief system you want with facts and figures and statistics to back it up. What does this say? Do not be taken captive through uh, uh, philosophy, empty deception, the traditions of men, according to uh, the elementary principles of the world. Who are we supposed to be taken captive by, brethren? Christ. Christ. Are you actively Allowing yourself to be taken captive by Christ. That's what this is all about this morning. Point number one. Make me know your way, O Lord. Turning back to uh, Psalms chapter uh, 25 and verse 5. Make me know your way, O Lord. It's rather interesting. The same exact phraseology is used in Psalms 16 to verse 11. Exact same phraseology. Make me... Uh, make known to me, it says here in Psalms 16:11, And in this passage of scriptures, show me thy way, show me. Make known to me, show me. In the Hebrew word for make known, the Hebrew word for show me or shoo me in the King James is yadah. Sounds like a pretty boring word. Actually, if you're going to write anything down this morning, write this down. This Hebrew word in regards to this passage, make me know your ways, show me your ways. Those two verses actually should have been put together. 
Make me know your ways by showing me how I'm supposed to do it. This is what this Hebrew word actually means. To know by observation or seeing. To know by observation or seeing. The second one, to teach by showing how it's done. My father-in-law, in fact, Sharon and I were just talking this morning, oh, how we miss Margaret, Bob and Margaret. I'm sure glad they're gone, though. This kind of crazy times would have been terrible. You know, Grandma Peggy, you know, as much as I miss her and your dad, pretty glad they're gone. You know, what a crummy, crummy time to live in. All that anxiety and whatever we were talking about that they like to do. You know what? We should have great joy. There's fullness of joy in the presence of God. This passage of scripture says to teach by showing how it's done. Bob showed me how to use his scary, dangerous, can cut your fingers off tools in his shop. And he let me actually play with them. And look, gang, all my fingers. I didn't lose any. My father-in-law was a great teacher. Now, ever I cut one of my fingers off, which I'm confident I won't, I'm really confident I won't. It won't be because Bob taught me how to do that. It's because I will have forgotten one of his lessons. He showed me how to do it. There was one time I went over to see Kirk Parks and I pulled up my shirt. Do you remember this, Kirk? I pulled up my shirt and my belly was all black and blue and bloodshot. And he goes, what did you do? And I said, well, I was doing something that Bob told me not to do. I I was standing behind the board as I was pushing it through the table saw and I let go of one part and guess what? That thing came out like a bullet and boom, I'm going, oh, I was on the ground and uh, I was thinking I can't tell Sharon because then she'll freak out and I'll be in the hospital forever. And so like a stupid guy, I wait till Kurt gets home. I could have been bleeding out, you know? And uh, I'm so glad Bob led the way. He showed me how to do it. Well, not that one, but he showed me how to do it. And so how important that is. And so Jesus shows us how it's done, how to turn a culture upside down so there's peace and tranquility and there's fullness of joy and there's thanksgiving. Jesus shows us how it's done. There's one last part of this this word, show me, padaw, to guide by way of example. Did you write those down? To know by observation or seeing, to teach by showing how it's done, to guide by way of example. So so now let's go back to this passage of scripture and look at these, these points here that you have in your lesson plan. The lesson plan that you have in front of you. What is your heart's desire? Teach me your ways, O Lord. Is your desire a relationship with the world so you can get more stuff? I love stuff. The more gadgets on the stuff, the better. Except I break them and then I have to call Eric. I mean, I love stuff. I love gadgets. I love the stuff. Are are you desiring a relationship with the world and having all the power and the influence and the praise and the glory and all that garbage that goes along with the world? Or are you looking for a relationship with Jesus Christ where there is true joy and true peace. What are you doing? Now, you know in your heart of hearts where you're at. I don't. So examine yourself. What is your heart's desire? Relationship in and with the world, which brings death, confusion, and frustration. Kind of sounds like what these guys are trying to produce, right? I mean, I didn't highlight it, but those three words are in there somewhere. Somewhere. Or a relationship with Christ where there is life and peace and fullness of joy. I hope you're not bored because we're just getting started on the solution. Make me know. Show me, it says. Make me know. Show me your way, O Lord. Here's a couple questions you might want to write down. Do I really desire to know his ways? Or do I just kind of go through the motions? Do I really desire to know his ways? Or am I just going through the motions? Now, I'm asking myself that question. You know how I found Psalms 25? Psalms 25 was on my reading list for Monday. And so I knew I was going to be preaching on, uh, you know, show show me thy ways, O Lord, or thy path. 
from Psalms 1611. And I was praying, Lord, help me to find the scriptures that you want. And then this one comes along. And you know, that's why I didn't get my letter typed out to you very quickly. I spent like five hours pouring over this passage and looking up the Hebrews like, wow, this is great. You're saying you did what? It's so important for us to desire to truly know his ways. What are his ways, by the way? What are his ways? They're the ways of life, real life. Remember we talked about the rat race? And we talked about the abundant life. Remember that? Say, so what's real? The real, true ways of God. How about contentment? Is that one of the ways of God? Contentment. Is it a good, is it a good way? Contentment? Because if you're not content, you're always frustrated. I want to get more. It's just, I got the, I got a new thing yesterday and they came out with a second model and it's better than what I got today. You ever have that one experience? Me too. Okay. So notice it's so important for us to recognize we should look to his ways, peace, joy, kindness. How do we get those? I'm glad you asked that question. I'll answer that in a moment. Look at the, look at the next one there. Teach me your paths. Here's a question I asked last week. I'm going to ask it again. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Do you listen and take notes and ask questions? Are you teachable? That's a great question, really. I ask that myself consistently. Do you sit at the feet of Jesus every morning or every evening? That's exactly what Mary did whenever Jesus was around. You know what's really cool? Jesus is always around. You can always sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. Yes, you need to do the dishes. Yes, husbands, you need to mow the lawn. Yes, you need, that has to happen. There's no excuse. But build your schedule so you can sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. Do that because remember, Jesus walked this way before you and he turned the world upside down for good, for peace, for joy, for life eternal. And so you and I can too. Are you a son of God? So is he. Are you filled with the spirit of God? So is he. Are you walking by faith? So did he. And he turned the culture, the world upside down. And so can we. Look at the next one. Lead me in your truth. This is where this, this leading, in other words, go before me and I will follow. So are you leadable? Will you follow his example? Are you leadable? Yeah, I'm leadable. So don't ever ask me that again. I'll have to smack you. Are you leadable? Do you allow God to lead you? Now, I allow other men and women as well that I respect and love and know their hearts. I allow them to teach me and I allow them to show me where I'm falling short. You can ask Jeff, you can ask Kirk, you can ask Brian. In fact, Eric, it wasn't too long ago that you said, man, you need just to chill, man. It's just that when you, you said that, you said you need to chill. I remember that. Yeah, and you know what? For all those out there, Eric Johnson is great. He told me to take a chill pill, and that's exactly what I needed to do. And uh, it wasn't really a chill pill. What he meant was, is... Don't let the little things freak you out. Now, that was before all this stuff, and I got real steely and decided I'm digging in, and we're fighting the good fight. And by the way, that was the exact right thing to say to me at that time. I will listen. Now, how many of you know, have you ever seen Eric sometimes when things are going crazy? Now, he might be putting on a good show. He might be going crazy inside, but he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm just watching this dude. You know, I love that. It's great. See, so we need to be leadable, through his word, absolutely, but through trusted brothers and sisters in Christ. I've had other brothers tell me all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, mm. okay, thanks. I'm not walking off that cliff. Okay. So it's important that we recognize you need to be leadable. And you know the last one here, or under leadable, uh, or do you find yourself being stubborn, self-willed? unwilling to read, unwilling to listen, unwilling to follow, and always having a rebuttal for anybody who has a suggestion. Just ask him. Because that's important. 
Because if we're that way with people who truly love us and care for us, then we might not be that way for Jesus who truly loves us and cares for us. And finally, the question here, this last part, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, for you I wait all day long. He is the God of our salvation. Is he the God of your salvation? There's another God out there that most of us, I would say if I understand the scriptures correctly, all of us have been intimately acquainted with. That God's name is self. Self. Is self ruling in your life? I have to share with you, self is the most deceitful of all gods. It will rationalize everything you do and everything you say. It will. Now, I know that you know what I'm talking about. I've been there before, brethren, and I have to be careful because guess what? If I don't keep my eyes on Jesus, where can I go? Right there again. You don't need to say amen. I know it's there. Have you truly humbled yourself before the Lord and allowed him to provide not only the initial salvation, but now the leadership and provision? That's my prayer. I want you to look at this picture right here. I'm sorry for those of you uh, who are near and far that you can't see the picture. Um, I would show it to you, but I'll probably break the phone and then you would never see me again. So uh, this is a beautiful picture that I received from the Gwaltney family. Does anybody notice something interesting about that picture? Notice there's a man sewing what? What's he sewing? He's sewing an American flag. And notice this hand right here. There's something right there on his wrist. By the way, he's wearing, he's wearing the coat of a farmer, a Minuteman. And he's got a little something on his wrist. Looks like he burned himself or something. Do you see that? Come real close. It's a nail scar. And he's sewing together the flag of our republic. Our republic was founded upon biblical principle. I want you to turn with me right now as we finish point number one to 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14. This is in my office. It's, it's right above my desk. I look at it often. Many of you have been in my home. You know my love for this great republic founded upon biblical principle. Uh, sadly, uh, we are not a republic anymore. We're a democracy because we've been told that over and over again. But even that is crumbling as democracies do, as our founding fathers do. Democracies do. But we need to turn it around. That's why on Wednesday night, the lessons are on how to restore the republic. And it ha starts with you and I. Listen to this passage of scripture, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 7 and verse 14. It would be great if I were in the right place. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, sounds like being in his presence, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Actually, if you were to read verse 12 down through verse 14, it's a very powerful passage. Notice what God is saying. If my people will, who are called by my name, sounds like Christians, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If my people will seek my face. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews and chapter 12. Point number two. Hebrews in chapter 12, verses one, two, and three. I really pray that you would read uh, Hebrews chapter 11 as a precursor to Hebrews in chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3 are very powerful. Everybody turn there now and let's read together. 
Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured this cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, consider Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love that passage of scripture. And I know that some of you are tired and I recognize that and I am too. I've been up late and got up early. I wanted to make sure I did a good job on this lesson because I felt like this is a critical turning point and the church of the living God, both here and abroad and afar, has a great responsibility to be the salt and the light, to understand how to restore tranquility in our society. Did you know the Bible actually teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, that we're supposed to pray for our civil leaders. We're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to pray that God would give them the wisdom so that we can live a quiet and tranquil life. It actually says that. You can turn there, write that down. 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Pray for our civil leaders. You know, I have to be honest, and I'm confessing right here, right now. I have not done that. I knew what was coming, but I didn't see it on the horizon. But it's here. And now we need to pray fervently for the city council and the mayor of Eugene and the city council and the mayor of Springfield and for Cresswell and every other city. And we need to pray for our brethren abroad that they would pray for their civil servants. Brethren, take a look at this. The word therefore is a very powerful word. Notice, therefore is a very powerful word. That cloud of witnesses is spoken of in chapter 11. The cloud of witnesses is in chapter 11. You go back and read chapter 11. I'll just give you a little primer. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Baark, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection and others were uh, tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection and others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword they went about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute afflicted ill-treated men and women i'm going to add of whom the world was not worthy wandering in deserts mountains and caves and holes in the ground and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised which is the holy spirit the indwelling holy spirit because had because god had provided something better for us Literally, his indwelling presence and our presence with him in heaven. Brethren, those people did all that without the Holy Spirit. Those people did all that without the power of God inside of them. They trusted in the power of God to equip them to go forth and they overturned kingdoms. And we are the resurrection army of the living God and we have the power of God inside of us. We can turn this around. Jesus proved it. He did in his life. And you know what? He now is doing it through his life in us. Church, we need to know that we're the salt and the light. We need to know that we are able. But we need to be given the tools. And that's what this lesson is going to conclude with. Take a look. Read this scripture in chapter 12, verse uh, 1. It says, Therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also, just like them. The word also means just like they did, let us do the same. Let us also, let us also do what? Two things in that reading. Lay aside the encumbrances. Lay aside the encumbrances that would keep us from being the salt and the light. What are those encumbrances? They are. There's a plethora of them. The desires of this world 
earthly focus on job and money and 401k and, and stuff. I got to get a new toy. All the distractions. I don't have my screen. It's right there. The screen can be a distraction. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are grimacing. The reality is there are distractions abound. Those things will in, in, encumber us so we can't run. We can't live. We can't be who we've been called to be. You know the second thing it says there in that verse? It says, lay aside all the sins which so easily entangle Man, that screen will offer you any sin you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, in abundance. You're saying, well, you're picking on the screen. No, I'm not. You need to be intentional, deciding who and what you'll allow in. And if there are sin habits right now, you know what you need to do? Go back to the elementary teachings. Look at the repentance process. Hey, Brad, are you listening? Brad and I are working together. We're retooling the elementary teachings and I'm building a new lesson called the repentance process. I taught y'all before how to do it, but it was never in black and white on paper. Now I've devoted five pages to the repentance process in the elementary teachings. And so you can pick that up and take a look at it and see how you can overcome the sin in your life that so easily entangles. They did, we can, because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at that next uh, let us. It's the vegetable garden of scriptures. Okay. It says, uh, let us, what? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So number one, run with endurance. What does endurance take? How many have ever run a marathon? Not me. How many have tried to run a marathon? Well, I, I, I was working to prepare to run a marathon. Okay. You've run long distance, haven't you? You're, you don't look like you're smiling when you do. You kind of a little grimace there. You know, it takes a lot of energy and time and practice and, and working and working and working. And you just do that once a week, right? Once a week and I'll run, you know, 5K, no problem. No, you have to keep working on it, right, Cynthia? It's a constant. There's got to be a spiritual weight training, a spiritual training of faithfulness. Now, how do you do that? You need to what? Grow your faith. How do you grow your faith? Does anybody know? What does the scripture say? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. Oh, not that one again. Yeah, that one again. <laughs> Every day. And not just reading it, listening to it and whatnot. Let's close with this. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. How do I do that? You look to him in the scriptures. You look to him in the New Testament examples of men and women of faith who powered through, who had joy when there could be no joy. Consider him. Look at the last verse there, verse three. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Is it possible, Logan, that sinners could perpetrate horrible, awful hostility against you in the future? Is that possible? They probably haven't. I have had a few do some things, but... But never, you know, beat me up, never put me in prison, never beat me with rods. That's never happened. But is it possible? I didn't think it was possible in the United States. It's possible in other countries, but not here. Look, we need to consider Jesus who is able to set his face like flint to go to the cross to sacrifice himself for our salvation. Will we set our face like flint to go forth and share with others the great news of life eternal in Christ? My prayer is that we will. My conclusion is this. There's a game plan that's been written. Oh, not just by him. Karl Marx wrote a game plan. The Humanist Manifesto is a game plan. Those are all game plans. They're human philosophies. But what about this? This is God's winning plan. Have you ever read the end of the book? You know what it says? It says that Satan brings up all the nations of the world on the broad plain of the earth and surrounds the beloved city of God who is who? Us. 
And just when Satan thinks he's got it all nailed down, guess what happens? Jesus comes back and grabs that old devil and throws him in the pit and everybody else that followed him throw him in the pit and woohoo! Dog pile of heaven, Brian! Right? Look, the Bible actually says that. All the nations of the earth are going to surround the camp of the saints. <gasps> hey man, I'm excited. That means we get to see the end. I always love the climax of the movie, don't you? I mean, I always love, I can't, well, I gotta go to the bathroom, but I can't leave the movie theater. It's, it's the climax. Guess what? It's the climax. That's the best part. I don't want to hurt. You know what? That's nothing compared to the lake of fire. The devil's gonna have a big old hurt forever and eternity. And all those idiots out there that are saying, I don't have nothing to do with God. I wanna do everything I wanna do by myself, for myself. Man, that's crazy. Brethren, so important for us to recognize that we can turn this thing around. You know, I've been told by a lot of preachers, you're an idiot. I'm not an idiot. You're saying Jesus was an idiot? He came into this world and it was broken. And he turned it around. This world's broken right now, isn't it? Can I get an amen on that one? Can I get an amen on that one? Jesus came into the world to bring about peace, joy, Life abundant. And you know how he does it today? Through us. Through us. So when you look at all those pictures, they agitate. I looked at a picture this morning that really got me agitated and I had to step in that room and I had to pray. Notice I went to what source? I went to the power source. Because I needed to preach this, not with anger, but with hope and power. And we have that. My prayer is, is that we'll go with the game plan. And you know what? I'm going to keep preaching on the presence of God, but I have a renewed fire because I have a reason now more than ever before, the game plan to overcome. All right? Let's pray. Lord, we're now going to turn it over to Jeff and, and he's going to bring about the Lord's Supper meditation. Father, that's why we're here, to remember the sacrifice by which we were saved, brought out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you, Father, for having sent your son to live the life, to set the course of the race, the path that we would follow. We're gonna to continue to work on that path, but I'm so thankful, Father, that he did that and showed us that it is possible. Help us now to lay down our lives like he did, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stay tuned as uh, Jeff Drillinger from the Pleasant Church is going to be leading us in the Lord's Supper. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. All right, so if there's some of you listening way out through this device thing, Majigger here, uh, you'll have to be patient with us. <clears throat> Going to give a few instructions here. Uh, also, those who might listen in that don't know me uh, know that I'm a jokester. And all. So my initial thought when I walked in the building and saw tape taped off the different seats here was that I was going to get the, the Bragg boys and we were going to run through them. Oh. <laughs> Yeehaw! And have some fun. But uh, I had so self-control. Yeah. So now that I got to get to do the Lord's Supper here in a minute, I'm going to be running through that tape to serve you. So uh, anyway. Um. But a, a few instructions, Logan and I, after I'm done here, we'll pass, we'll glove up here, um, and uh, we'll bring around, and we'll be breaking off, so you'll just open your hand for the, the bread, and we'll drop it in your palm there uh, with gloved hands. We'll be doing the breaking, so you're not reaching up, touching anything, and then uh, we'll hand you uh, the cups as well, um, and then we can uh, collect those later with the garbage can, or you can Toss them in the garbage can on your way out. So, <clears throat> you know, I've been, uh, Bill and I, it's amazing sometimes how uh, God works it out. Uh, our lessons and different things, even though we haven't even communicated uh, how they come together. Um, and I've been in Hebrews a lot, really trying to work on my mindset with everything that's going on. 
and uh, waging warfare. You know, Bill had mentioned our war, our uh, battle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, but what what does the enemy want us to do? Where does he want our minds to go? You know, social media, the different media sources, um, and all sorts of different things uh, can what encumber us they can get our minds somewhere else and uh god says do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good some of you've heard me talk about uh, the opposition factor um you know and how to overcome it's like here we do see a lot of evil and i don't think anybody uh can uh, uh dispute that it doesn't matter what view you may have there are things out there but how, do, how does God want us to wage battle? You know, it's, uh, he's given us everything to per- pertain to life and godliness. And his tools of warfare are different. And as a man thinks, that might not be the way. Because God, man's way ends in death. God's way is life. And says, overcome evil with good. Uh, I spoke to a gentleman this week out in the middle of the woods. Got in a good conversation. And he, you know, he was pretty frustrated about all the things. And he's like, we got to speak out. And I'm like, yeah. You know, he says, well, Jesus went and turned over the tables and did all that. And I'm like, yeah, but he had the authority to do that. There's only a few people that have the authority to speak or do certain things. And if you look through the scriptures, Paul spoke out a couple times. Jesus spoke out. They had the authority to do so, and it was at a place in time. But what about, what does the scriptures teach us to do? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such word is good for edification. To build. Everything else is tearing down. This world wants to tear down. That's what the devil wants. He wants to tear you. He wants to tear the church apart. Anything that has anything to do with good. But that's how we overcome. Is with good. You go to Galatians chapter 5, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. They're in opposition to one another. These fleshly, man-made philosophies and ideas will tear down and it is death. But there is life in doing things God's way. Bill mentioned there, how can How can we be faith? How do we get faith? Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. We build. We need to build. And the only way to build is God's way. So as we come around today, we're going to look into God's word here because where? Where are our eyes need to be focused? And here's where I want to uh, kind of start. That was a huge introduction, but what, why is there so much fear? Why is there, you know, that's what it is. And if you look at even those who are not Christians and you see that they're hunkering in their bunkers and nobody knows what to do, there's no hope. What, what is the basis for that? The fear of death. The fear of death. What are you afraid of? Where is your home? Is our home the United States of America? Is our home, where is our home? If you look, it Bill mentioned, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, what? Men and women of faith. And if you read other parts in Hebrews, 
That, that was not their home. This earth. And we, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, we build our house, the eternal house, on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. The storms may come and the winds may blow. Satan's going to huff and pluff and try to blow the house down. But those who build it on the solid rock, the word of God will not fall. Fear, fear, fear. That's what the devil wants. Hebrews chapter 2. I want to encourage, I want to build, and I want to build you with God's word. Because we come around to remember and look at Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Chapter 2 of Hebrews, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Okay? If you were to go to, I believe it's Philippians chapter 2, um, it talks about Jesus laying aside his privileges. He did not use or assert, utilize his authority. He was with God, the Father, in glory. And it says, the scriptures teach that God cannot be tempted. That's one of his privileges. Jesus laid aside that privilege because it says that he is tempted in all things as we, yet without sin. You imagine that, leaving glory and some of those privileges with your Father? Why? Because of his great love for us. He partook of the same, this fleshly body, a human, that through death he might, why? Because we're all going to die, a physical death, each and every one of us. No matter how you try to hide from that, no matter how much you try to get your mind off of the fact, this fleshly body is going to die. Throughout my years in the career that I was in, saw a lot of dead bodies. We're all going to die. And those who are not in Christ Jesus will die an eternal death. That is really scary. The only hope, the hope that we have to give is in Christ that he rendered powerless him who had the power of death. Rendered powerless. Why is all the fear around? No matter what it is, you find come back to the base is the fear. And who has that fear? Who holds that power? Satan. And who is the one who rendered that powerless? Why are we afraid of whatever it may be? Whatever opinion you have, whatever does it really matter? Why is there fear? Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Do you realize that when you give yourself over to fear, you're a slave? And who are you a slave to? But Jesus, that's why we're coming around today. I want you to know that he rendered that powerless. If you fix your eyes on him, on Jesus, who gives you life, true life, life eternal, the hope, both sure and stead want fast, that which enters the veil, Jesus. That's not a hope of, oh, I cross my fingers. No, a hope both sure and steadfast, the scriptures teach. Don't allow yourself to be enslaved to fear again. 
For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives helps to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, making propitiation or satisfaction for the sins of the people. Yeah, outside of Christ, the weight is there. The penalty of death is there. And it's only taken away in Christ Jesus. He's the one who satisfied that. He's the one who tasted death for all Christians that they might live. That the power of the devil, he rendered him powerless, that fear of death. No more fear, but to go forward, to go forth and do as he has asked. He's raised us up to walk in the spirit to do the work that he prepared beforehand. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Trials, temptations, he's there for you, but he's given you everything. But there's also a flip side of the coin, brethren. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to remember where we need to be focused at, him who rendered powerless Satan. This is in chapter three. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of heaven calling, consider Jesus. Consider, think about, that's what, remember. That's where I'm trying to get your minds to today so that as we come around this table, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who had appointed him as Moses also was in all his house. For he is counted it worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which should be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Jesus' house? God's house? What is that? Whose house we are. If, if, here's the thing, brother. It's like we need to consider Jesus and what he's done and what he set up for us. If, we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. Hold fast, brethren. Consider Jesus who set his face like flint to accomplish his father's will. Do you think he had reason to fear? But what? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jude says, now to him who can keep us from stumbling and to make us stand in his presence, blameless with great joy. Do you believe the word of God? He's able. And apart from him, you can do nothing. But we need to believe those words and then act on them. Do not be held in fear's power. Because Jesus rendered Satan powerless. The power that he had was the fear of death. Do you fear death? Are you worried about, oh, I'm going to die? No. Do you believe what Jesus says? But we need to hold fast that confidence and that hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me as in the day of trial in the wilderness. You know, what was it? Jesus, God told them to go to the promised land. And they went out and spied it out and it was great. But most of them came back and said, oh, there's giants in the land. We, oh no. What, what was that fear? What was the fear of the giants? What was the fear of all that? What, is that not the fear of death? Well, they're gonna go in there and they're gonna die. But God said, no, go forth because this is the land that I've promised. But most of them didn't believe. 
God's word, even though he had proven faithful. Do we do the same thing? There's giants in the land. Oh no, I'm afraid. I can't go forth. I can't act as he says that I can. Where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they will always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore on my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. It says in the last days, some's, some's love will grow cold. Do not let your love, the love of Christ, grow cold. Do not fear. Jesus took that away. But encourage one another. Day after day is as little, still called today. I want to encourage you, brethren, to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Don't fear. But as he says, go forth. Remembering that this is not our home. There should be no fear because he rendered Satan powerless who had the power of death. So please remember these things and consider Jesus. And throughout the week, continually consider Jesus who went and calls us to go. Do not be afraid. But walk. Follow in his footsteps. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son's example. Father, I pray that we would all lay aside uh, the encumbrances and the sin which so easily entangles and run our race with endurance. The race that Jesus set and the race that you call us to run. Father, that we would look to see how we're to run in your word, where we're to run. Father, may we not be encumbered by fear, not be enslaved again, but rather to fix our eyes on Jesus and realize that when his word says that our sin is taken away, that he has wiped the slate clean for us to go forth and to practice righteousness, to walk in a manner worthy of him. I pray that we would go forth, that we would put on Christ each and every day, armoring up with his armor, fighting the battle with spiritual warfare, love, joy, peace, patience, kind of those things, and manifesting that glorious character to your glory, honor, and praise. As we come around right now, I pray that you would bless these emblems and that our minds would be where they need to be. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.